Hey there, it's Kelly from Zinimi. Before we get started on today's episode, I want to invite you to one of our greatest trainings ever. It's how to build and grow a profitable solo or group practice sustainably. All you got to do is check it out at zinimi.com slash podcast. All right, on to our episode. Hey everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome. I always think it's such an interesting thing. I feel like we do a success story with Lauren every year. And it seems like I would get sick of seeing her face, but then she like up levels her business every single year. <laughs> and it's always like, hey, well, wait, now we have to do an update because Lauren's business looks completely and practice looks different than it did a year ago, which looked different a year before that, which looked different a year before that. Um, it's such an interesting piece. Is that something you've, you like resonate with in terms of like, when you think back of like what a success was for you four years ago, does it look very different than what it looks like today? Oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. As a matter of fact, I was thinking when I first learned, reached out and started working with Zenny Me, I had seven clients total and I was trying to figure it all out. And I just looked and my practice has 54 now. So yes. (laughs) (laughs) 54 and counting, right? Yes. Uh Yeah. You know, it's interesting too, that we're talking today. We just got done doing um, a free training for group practice owners, talking about numbers and talking about how to find like joy as a group practice owner. And it was honestly like really like sad. Lauren, like mm. the chat and what group practice owners were were saying in the chat of like, I'm not paying myself. I'm working so many hours. I'm not making any money. I'm doing my payroll right now. I'm still seeing as many clients, but I'm paying more out to my employees than I'm paying for myself. Like, I don't know how to pay my employees well. I didn't even know that was a thing. I don't know what numbers to track. Like, it was like, it was one of those things where it was like confirmation on one side that we're so glad that we're doing this training, but it was also painful that mm. like, yeah, no, this is the norm in group practice. Yeah. 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 Well, I feel very fortunate that I didn't have to start group practice without Zinni Me because yeah. I built my practice on the nuts and bolts of what I learned as a soul when I was doing uh, boot camp as a solo in solo practice. And then as I scaled, I scaled from that place. So yeah. I feel very fortunate that I haven't had to go that route because you guys have given me so much yeah. support. Balance. It's been in balance as I've grown. But I think too, like you're the person who consistently goes back to the process um, and actually implements it. Um, there's a, there's a couple of people that are in business school today that they're like, oh, I haven't actually like done that thing. I just keep avoiding it. And I can see that it's time for me to stop avoiding it. Okay. So let's go back to, I'm going to um, grab, I have to turn my AC on here real quick. Yeah, for sure. You do you boo. Okay. <laughs> Real life. And for those of you who are watching, if you want to, um, post questions about group practice, like now is a great time to do that. Laura and I are here to support that. So what was kind of the final straw or the uh, like the turning point when you decided like, yeah, you know what? I want to do group practice. What, you know, because you had a successful solo practice, 
as full as you wanted it to be. You're making a good income, getting the pool in the backyard <laughs> in addition, you know, um, you know, taking the trainings that you wanted to take, doing all of that, making a good profit. Um, why, why upset the apple cart? Like why do something different and expand into group? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I love the clinical work and, um, and I, you know, I've done a lot of certifications and I've done the things and I just was like, I don't, I don't think that this is where I'm going to be fulfilled full time, long term. Um, I was thinking that um, I came I came from being a program director at a treatment center years, years ago, and I loved that. And so I wanted to really bring that like working with a team, working with developing therapists, working with um, being the support behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. um, and so so I kind of always knew that's what I wanted to do. But what what made me, what tipped the scales for me was that my calls, really, like I was getting so many calls. And I was like, now's the time. Now's the time to do it. Um, yeah. And uh, and so then that that is why I made that decision at that time. Yeah, you're like, this This just makes no sense. And you did that, you know, I want to show people, uh, you you built a website, mm -hmm. right, from scratch, uh, based on yeah. what we were like, showing you um, in with Sydney me in business school. But yeah. like, ultimately, what was that looking like? How did it feel when you were, you know, getting a ton of calls or having people reach out to you, and you were like, full to the brim? Was there what happened first? Like, when it was it hard initially just to say, no, I'm full? Did you find yourself being over full first before you could like pull back and say like, no, that like, that's too much. Like, how did you find that initial balance of even just being able to say no? Yes, I definitely, I've, I, it was a, it was a trial and error because I thought my full would be 20 per week and then mm -hmm. I cut it back to 18 <laughs> and then mm -hmm. I cut it back to 15. Um, and then, then full was 15. And so it took, it took a little, um, dialing it back and, um, but it, but it was also like my peace of mind. So it was mm. having that work-life balance. I have a little one, um, I, house, husband, all that kind of, I'm balancing all life. Right. And so all the other stuff was suffering and I was like, I can't keep burning the candle at all the ends because I yeah. need to have some joy in my life too. And my family needs me. Yeah. So. And you need you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. yes. <laughs> okay. So you figured out what that thing was. And then when you would look and see like, Oh my gosh, I got an extra 20 calls this month and I couldn't take any of them or what did it feel like when you were like referring people out regularly or, you know, like what did that, like just getting on the phone sometimes or like responding to emails, like how did it feel like energetically? Yeah. Um, okay. So first of all, I didn't, I didn't like having to refer people out because I had really like my, it was my ideal client. Like my ideal mm. client kept calling and I'm talking to them. I'm like, Oh, I want to work with you too. But I just, you know, I can't. Um, and, and then also because my phone was ringing a lot, I mean, which is not a bad problem to have. Um, it's just taking a lot of time and energy to talk to all these people, answer all these calls. And, um, and you know, 
like the dollar signs too of like referring people out like wait a minute i knew i wanted to do group practice at some point like like i why not now why not go ahead and um keep these people in house and do all this awesome work that i'm doing but now with just more clinicians so yeah what was it like because you have a specific niche um, and we've got um, Nervita um, over asking, saying like, oh my gosh, like I'm trying to hire, I'm trying to attract people. I'm trying to figure out what's like, no one's calling, what have you. What was that initial process like to get clarity on who you really wanted to hire and start to actually advertise to bring someone in your, in your practice? How long did it take? What did you learn from the process? So um, what was that like? Uh, it was a little bit like when I was trying to figure out who my ideal client was, I had to also figure out who my ideal clinician was going to be. Mm. And um, and so I literally, I think I wrote out an ATP on what yes. my clinician, <laughs> what, like what her wants or, or the person's wants would be and um and how like what they were looking for what they were wanting what they were hoping because i knew that my practice was going to be a really good fit for somebody but it wasn't going to be a really good fit for everybody yeah um, and and for those of you listening like an atp is what we teach in terms of creating like a compelling marketing message for an ideal client so you're basically we're creating this compelling marketing message that yes. was like hey i see the pain that you're in um, here's who we are. Here's what your next step is. Like, come on in. Let's, let's work together. Yep. And to answer your question, it took me four months to find mm -hmm. the right person. Um, and, and I'm really glad that I did because, um, all of my clinicians are awesome. Um, and I, I feel like this process has taught me how to hire the right people for my practice. But waiting that four months allowed me to hire my first clinician who is phenomenal, was excellent therapist, excellent in my team. Um, just I'm just such a joy to have as my first hire because I've heard nightmare stories of hiring the wrong person or hiring for this reason and not that reason. And, mm -hmm. um, and I feel like I really I really hired for the right reasons. Yeah, I love that. Uh Nervita said, I see it's a marketing message for a clinician, just as I created the marketing message for our niche clients. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Because there are, there are so many group practices that are hiring right now. There are so many agencies that are hiring. And I think one of the beautiful things about the pandemic was that people have stopped and assessed their life and said, I want more joy and I want it now. And I, there's a lot of options for me. So what do I really want to do? And some people are deciding they want to leave the profession because that hasn't been working for them. And then some people are saying like, you know what I do? I love this work, but I want to get back to the work that I really want to do. And mm -hmm. I want to work with people that where like, I want out of the toxic work environment. I want to be able to like, know that I could have Thursdays be an appointment a day that I could schedule appointments for doctor's appointments without getting a side eye from my boss. Like I want to know that I'm going to be able to do good clinical work and, you know, do EMDR or um, do brain spotting or what have you, and not have someone think that 
I'm doing something like out of the box. So it doesn't work because it's not the evidence based practice that's approved by this grant. Like I want to do the clinical work that really makes sense. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I love this. So we've got Natalie saying, I'm getting a lot of calls. I need to hire. I'm afraid of losing my special care in my niche. Did that come up for you, Lauren, as you were going forward, this place of like, wait, like maybe as I bring other people on, like, well, they have the magic I have yeah. in working with this niche. And maybe like my reputation will be tarnished if I bring these other people on. It's scary. Uh, it really is. Um, you know, as I've I've been working in my community, I have a lot of personal referrals, other therapists referred to me, I've got doctors that referred to my practice. And so, yeah, I mean, I was, it was a little nerve wracking um, to go through that process. And I found that, um, so actually the therapists are going to be different. I have three now, mm -hmm. uh, myself plus three more. And um and what I have found is that each each of the therapists has their own unique strength. Um, and as I've gone through this process, learning that when there are certain clients that call, I know who's going to work best with certain uh, clinicians, um, depending on personalities and needs and even spirituality. I have one clinician who really likes to bring spirituality in. Um, and that's not going to work for everybody, but it's certainly going to work wonderful for some people. Mm -hmm. um, so I've had to kind of, um, I know that I have awesome therapists. I know that. Um, and then I just have to trust them and, and their strengths and the ability to put the right clients with the right clinicians. So. And I think that's the other piece too, is that like, ultimately, especially as your, um, as you expand your marketing, right? Mm -hmm. Over time, there are more than enough clients to meet all the needs. Now mm -hmm. that said, right? We were talking earlier about this idea too of like, wow, you have a website and a marketing funnel, right? We showed your website earlier um, that was able to fill up three clinicians and is in the midst of filling up a fourth. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um and the idea of like, wow, I started with like seven sliding scale all over the place, very diverse clients when I started in business school. And like, wow, now my my group practice that has 54 clients on the roster right now. Like, wow, what a difference. And you're finding right now like, oh, I'm not building my fourth clinician as fast as I would like to. And so now I need to expand. I need more juice going into the marketing funnel and so you're going after additional keywords and you know what to do you've gone in the process and you're like all right i put the things in now there's a little bit of time and wait to let more of that energy come back in so i can go to that next level yep yes and right like i kind of know what to do when things slow down i know i will number one i I track the heck out of everything, everything. I have stats on everything and five years worth of it. So when something comes up, I can easily go into my numbers and say, this is what I need to do. This is what I need to do. And yes, yeah, so right now I'm working on keywords um, and really getting uh, ranked for some common keywords. And then additionally for my new therapist, who's a team therapist. So, mm. And it's, it's funny too, something just popped up for me. Oh, so we were having this conversation earlier um, this week, or, or was it last week, where you'd said something like, oh, 
I'm noticing that people are asking about insurance a lot. I hope that's okay to say. Yes. And then like you, and then you like immediately came back and you said what? I said, it's interesting because it seems like in the month of February, this is when I get a lot of calls about people wanting to use their insurance. And that's, if they're wanting to use their insurance, that's why they're not booking. <laughs> Yeah. Like, like, and I love that you were like able to like look at the stats and be like, Oh, I've been here before. It's all been okay. And it's been specifically in February, like more like, okay, cool. Like, let me give it a second. As opposed to, I think right now, you know, people are like, Oh my gosh, the GFE is going to kill private pay and this is going to happen and that going to happen. I'm like, I've been here a long time, y'all. <laughs> you know, like I get to sit from that place. And now as you become established as a group practice owner and established private practice owner, you get to sit in that place and go, oh, wait, I have like my, my mind says there's something here. Let me go look at the numbers. Oh, yeah, this is just the peaks and valleys. This is how this works. Like, this is OK. Um, I saw this question in here about I'm not sure what a reasonable pay rate, considering there are many platforms like Alma and Path that pay individual clinicians a lot more than I can afford to. Hmm. They perhaps have different contractor rates with insurance companies that allow for that. I went ahead and put a link to the training that we just did today where we kind of talked about some of this in particular um, in more details. Uh, Lauren is a private pay um, practice um, as opposed to insurance-based practice. So that's a, kind of a different, um, you know, apples and oranges. Um, but if you want to go and check out, that recording will be available for the next seven days. So get on that. Watch the training. Um, I I mean, honestly, like I teared up with the training of like how impactful it was. And I that doesn't happen for me a whole lot. Like I think it's really important training. So go and watch that. Um, I think it's going to be very helpful. Um, hey, it's Kelly. Are you enjoying today's episode? There is so much more to starting your private practice. That's why we created Business School for Therapists. It's our lifetime access business building program created especially for you and all the future stages of practice that you are going to go through. If you're ready to join a community that supports you, that to have access to a massive library of private practice trainings covering everything from creating your vision to setting your fee to getting you legally covered and more, this is for you. Simply go to bit.ly slash therapist business school to get started. Shaya said, this is perfect. I'm finally ready to have a group practice. Once again, I want to avoid the errors that I had back in 2017. Creating my ideal hire is brilliant, right? Yes. I think the other thing too, that we talked about on that training today, um, Chaya, is that creating the model for your practice, the whole financial model. Can we talk about what that looked like for you, Lauren, and what financial modeling looked like for you in terms of projections, in terms of figuring out what you could pay, in terms of looking at like, what will my profitability really look like? Share with people your, your best advice there. Okay. So I call it the, the big <laughs> spreadsheet. I don't know if I can cuss here, so maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> it's on Facebook. So no, they will get mad at us if we, if we curse, but the big, <laughs> the big booty spreadsheet um is was, was so intimidating for me when i first started doing boot camp and all of that but it has been a lifesaver in terms of 
my projecting, my all of the business stuff, identifying what I was going to pay a therapist, what I was going to charge clients, and all of that. And I would not have been able to make the decisions that I've made without that spreadsheet. Mm. So, um, so what I know for me, one of my financial goals is to buy a building. Um, in the last year has not been a great time to buy a building in Florida, at least, um, because of property values and all that fun stuff. Um, but because I know that's my goal, that's part of like something that's in my spreadsheet. And so I'm planning for that. And that's part of the decisions that I make right now. Um, so I don't know, maybe I'm not sure if I'm like, if I'm on the right track. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that piece of we need to know what we're looking for in terms of our take-home pay. We need yeah. to look at, at what our goals are in terms of our expansion. Uh, our expansion. Yeah. A lot of times people create something where they know like, okay, this is what I want in the next six months. And so they create something, they create a pay scale or a pay rate and um, a practice that works for that. But then when they say, oh, you know what? I want to offer benefits or I want to expand and get a better office, or I want to um, provide education stipend or student loan assistance or whatever that is, there's been none of that even thought through. So there's no room Mm -hmm. necessarily, but there's a desire. So you see therapists that will just sort of make the emotional decision. Emotionally, I really want to do this. They make a decision here. They make a decision there. It's sort of like when I first got like a checking account or I first got like sort of using like a bank card. And you're like, I couldn't have spent a thousand dollars this month. Like I didn't spend any money. And then you start, I remember literally like adding up $20 and $30 and $10 or what have you. And was like, oh my gosh, like I legitimately spent a thousand dollars. Like it just blew my mind. And I think as a group practice owner, if you're not really paying attention to all those $20, a hundred dollars, $500, $30 here, as you're expanding, like that profit margin can go down and it can go negative very quickly. Yeah. 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 And the, and the one thing that I love about the spreadsheet is when you turn a knob on this page, it reflects over here. And so I can, I can do the thing here and then go click on this page over here and really see what the final number is. Um, And so, and all of that's in there. Like, what do I, what do I want to, bring home? What do I bring home? And what do I want to pay my clinicians and all of that? So all of that stuff is informing my decision because I too want to offer benefits to my clinician. It is my goal for 2023, but I can't do that right now. Yeah. Yeah. But you can see the numbers. You can see if I have this many full-time people and there's some numbers too, in terms of offering benefits, knowing that like, oh, I need to have this many people on staff to even like be eligible for that in Gusto or, or, or what have you. So there's some like growth that's needed. But when we start with that vision in mind and we start to kind of put some numbers in there, it kind of provides a little bit of a filler and it yeah. gives us a little bit of room as opposed to just kind of going like, oh, here's the most I can afford. This is what's going to attract great clinicians to me. And I'm going to be honest, y'all, you might be surprised at how trying to pay the most if you think that's the only thing that clinicians are looking for mm-hmm. and that they'll choose that over, you know, a, a toxic or burnout inducing workplace where they're not supported clinically, 
like that's not it. That's that's a piece of it. And we want to create places where people have livable wages. But, you know, part of that can be benefits and it can also be quality of life and quality of career and the importance of having great outcomes. Like all of that plays yeah. into people's decisions. Right. Yeah. yeah and I, I asked my first clinician when I was hiring my third clinician to do a video and it's it's actually on my website on the hiring page about like what she was hoping for um, when she came to work for mindful living. And it was just that it was, I don't, I, I want to be able to have, she's like, I have a young family. I want to be able to spend time with my family. I don't want to have to be working all of the time. I want to be in private practice. I don't want the headache of the business stuff. Um, and so it, it really was the right fit for her. It really, it really did speak to what her needs were. And she did such a great job articulating that she wouldn't want me to draw attention to that video. But <laughs> <laughs> if you want to check that out, I'll put the um, I'll put the link um, just so you can figure out her website. And if you're in Florida, you know, you know and you know great referrals, I think that's wonderful um, as well. So this um, question, how did you uh, someone asked, how did you decide on employer consultant, and I think what they mean is employer contractor, mm -hmm. um, and what to pay and how to pay them. I think the biggest thing that I want to just throw out there as an initial place is know that an employee is an employee. I'm gonna—I know it's gonna sound dumb, but it'll make sense in a second. It's an employee. It's someone who's coming into your business that you can work with. You can give them feedback. You can provide them. You can send them to trainings. You can give them supervision. You can give them laptops, you can give them benefits, like it's an employee. A contractor is a business, it's another business owner. And that business owner, you don't get to tell them when to work. Um, they have to provide their own information, you know, their own um, tools and strategies. Um, you can't, if they're doing something that's clinically inappropriate, you can end their contract. But like, ultimately, you can't tell another business really what to do. And yet that business owner is going to be reflecting on your business. You're going to be associated with them because they're providing services. A lot of times when we think of like a traditional contractor would be like, my bookkeeper is a contractor. My accountant is a contractor. You know, like I, I bring someone in to just do some work on my lawn or like to to redo my lawn that could be a contractor like that's a different thing than having someone who you're kind of putting your stamp of approval on this person and saying this person's gonna gonna do a good job and i'm gonna have maybe a little bit of oversight to ensure that's happening and when you have someone there as an as a contractor as another business owner you don't have that so I'll stop talking and let, um, <laughs> and, and in many states legally, um, you, you can't do con contractors. Yep. Well, and just to, to kind of um, speak in that same vein, I actually interestingly have a, a friend of mine reach out and ask me this question today. <laughs> so I had just put some thought into this. Um, I, so exactly that, like I spent however many years, three or four years, really developing my policies, my procedures, my brand, my, the way that I work with clients, the way that I do outcomes, all these things. And, and you know, to, to even kind of speak back to the person that was saying, are you afraid that how, what's going to happen with those, with how these clinicians interact with your 
uh, clients, um, well, the more control you have over that, then the more that you have, you can influence that. And so, because I had spent so much time in my business developing things, I wanted the therapist to do a certain thing. And so in that sense, they had to be employees because of how much I wanted to manage and make sure that they were doing things a certain way, like outcome conversations and their notes and all of that. And so for me, just just genuinely, it was not an independent contractor situation. It was definitely yeah. an employment situation. And I want to I want to highlight for a second because I'm sure there are people who are listening to this who are going to say, "But wait, I don't want to be in control. I don't want to have to oversee. Like that's that I that's exactly what I don't want to do." And I'm going to challenge that a little bit. If you don't want to be a leader and you don't want to work with people, do not become a group practice owner. Do not please run away or create a group practice where you can have someone come in and be the clinical director who really likes working with people. Like that's an important piece. So Lauren, I want to ask a question about that. When you say like, and most people here don't know what we're talking about. I know what you're talking about when you say outcomes conversation. Let's talk about what, what did your outcomes look like before you implemented these things? And what do outcomes look like now based on all the things you put in place, just in terms of the clinical side of things? Yeah. So I was I I had told myself to look at those numbers before we got on the call and I hadn't done that. I was so I know for sure one of the the, major thing that shifted in my um, one of the things I'm measuring is people that are actually completing therapy. Yeah. Um, from like, here's your treatment goals. We're working through the whole process of completing those treatment goals. Yeah. Um, that was one of the things that I was measuring as well as um, mutual termination. Maybe they, if they didn't complete their treatment goals, did we both agree that we're going to take a pause in therapy? So they didn't go, so they didn't just start, stop coming. Yeah. I, um, I think... I'm gonna. I'm trying to remember, so I'm sure my numbers are not going to be exactly right. But I'm thinking. I'm trying to pull up the video so I could just tell, you, like, to to say because I know. But you're. It was like, it's it good. Was crazy. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the mutual termination went from like somewhere below fifty to like ninety percent. Yeah. Um, and then the the actual completing therapy. If you find it, that would be better because I missed yeah. numbers. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead. I don't know if I, um, if I play it, I don't know if people will be able to see it, but I'm going to go ahead and link to the, um, the video. Um, oh, wait a minute. I can't believe the video. I just linked to the wrong thing. There we go. I just put your website in there again, but I'm going to link to the video y'all. Um, it's not on a fancy page or anything. It's kind of like a behind the scenes video. Uh, but honestly, it it's, it's an amazing thing. And what I love about it, obviously, it's something that we taught you in business school for therapists is to track those stats and to look at them over time. Yeah. And now you're able to do how have those stats like informed how you train your new clinicians? Oh, my goodness. That is I get excited about this. So. Um, I had never known about outcome conversations the way that I learned it from business school boot camp. Um, 
So what I do is before people can, before my clinicians can even see my, see clients, they have to go through this training of outcomes. And what that does is what I teach my therapist is at, at the end of every session, we want to have outcome conversations. Like what, what's your takeaway? What went well today? If you, if we could do it all over again, what would you want to be different in just today's session? So then they're getting feedback every session. So there's none of this guessing um, about what's going on. This helps imposter syndrome so much because mm -hmm. the client, the therapists aren't going, oh, I wonder if that was a good session. I wonder if it wasn't like, am yeah. I doing a good job? Like they're asking the questions every session. I think um, the other thing too, is that it's so empowering to the clients. Like this yeah. wasn't made up by Lauren. This <laughs> is based on sound research that's been duplicated over and over again that says that your outcomes will increase by over 60% just by asking clients this question and then actually like listening and hearing the information. How often in our relationships with a mom or a dad or a sister or a friend or, or a coworker, do we get to say, does someone like honestly say, Hey, could we've done today better? And like the person can be like, yeah, actually like this didn't feel good. And they're like, oh, tell me more. Oh, you know what? You know what? You're right. That like, let's dig into that next time. And like, I want to do better with you. Like that's pretty, like just that as an intervention, like, and I think we sometimes don't realize how powerful of an intervention it is yeah. to give someone full permission and like fully, like with our whole body, like, hey, let me know. And to hear it, to not flip out. Just the fact that we could like hear it and not go like, oh, uh, oh, oh. I mean, I, I could see how you could feel that way. Um, so like there's like think about all the ways that like what usually happens when we give like we work so hard to give someone feedback and to like bring it up and like when's the right time and how do i do it to have the therapist say hey here's the right time and here's mm -hmm. how you do it and like i'm gonna give you a reparative response to this like can you if you guys are listening like can you like feel that <laughs> like what that would be like i mean and yeah. i mean god bless it i think about like my one of when i first started going to see therapists and, you know, the only way to like interview a therapist was literally to like go into sessions. And I went into a session and the woman, I knew all about her daughter and her daughter's husband and their sex life and like, <laughs> right. And I was just like, and it was just for me, it was like replicating my patterns of like not being heard. And like, it's never about me. Like it was just such a different experience. And I was just like, yeah, no, like this is not what I need. But had she, she didn't ask, it was just one of those things. And the fact that like, she literally like didn't have change for me. And she was like, oh, you can just apply to this to your next session. I'm like, you can keep the 10 bucks because I'm not coming back, you know, after that. It's such a crazy thing, right? But that's the kind of experiences that we have. So share with everybody. I know we've already been on here for a little while. Like what does group practice life look like on a day-to-day -day basis today? Yep. Uh, it's so funny. I um, I was just looking at my my schedule for next week, and I'm like, wow, I have so much availability. <laughs> like, so weird. Mm -hmm. um, 
So for me, currently, I have, with great intentionality, decreased my caseload so that I can have more time to do uh, business stuff and group practice owner stuff. So for me, I do team meeting stuff on Mondays and working with uh, my VA on social media and marketing stuff. And then Tuesdays, I do a little bit of client work and I may work with a clinician individually. Wednesdays, the same thing. Thursdays, the same thing. And then Fridays is, um, I usually do work in the morning a little bit. Um, and then and then it's me day. And then it's me day before I'm, I'm with my family on the weekend. So, mm. yeah. And how has that me day impacted your, your life emotionally, <laughs> socially, mentally? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So it's so necessary. Um, I am very, very introverted. So that day is like my coveted me day. Um, and so it gives me the balance that I need because I get, I have, I feel refreshed going into the weekend and being busy with my family and all of that kind of stuff. So I feel recharged and energized and available to my family. Um, and then when Monday rolls back around, I'm feeling like I had enough time away from the business so that I can be, um, creative and energized and, and all of that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So it's necessary. And mm -hmm. then, you know, my husband also, um, does not work on Fridays. So occasionally we'll do a date during the day mm -hmm. during that time. So that's also something that's nice. That's available mm -hmm. to us because yeah. I don't work much on Fridays. <laughs> That's awesome. And then tell us about like, and you know, again, a lot of people have explored the like, oh, wow, I'm making less as a group practice owner. Have you found that to be true that you've noticed your profitability going down, especially as you're like transitioning from like seeing as many clients? Is there like a, a tippy point of like, yeah, I make a little less now, but my caseload's a third of what it, what it used to be, but I, I'm kind of investing in that time or like, or have you kind of slowly dropped your caseload as profits have risen to kind of keep your um, keep your profitability about the same? So for a little bit of both, but mm -hmm. for the most part, it's been this type of situation where mm -hmm. I've decreased as my clients, my therapists have taken on more clients and I've hired mm -hmm. more clients. This is the lowest my caseload has ever been. And like I'm at six right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and so um, I actually just gave myself a raise to my, like, a so <laughs> thank you. So no, my, my profitability has not gone down. I mean, I'm at a time right now where I'm working really, really hard to get my third clinician filled up. Um, mm -hmm. And, and so I guess maybe it's dipped down a little bit, but, but I mean, I'm still profiting and I still just gave myself a raise and. <laughs> Uh, so there yeah. might be a little dip in the, the bigger number, but yeah, um, but it's okay. Cause you can okay. see the big picture. Yeah. Because once yeah. my third clinician is filled up, then it's all going to level out again. So ah, I love it. I love it. Now, for those of you who are listening, you know, just as a, as a thing, we talked a little bit about business school and that, a mat, that uh, great big booty spreadsheet <laughs> inside <laughs> of the business school that helps with all, the, with all the modeling for the group practice and the solo practice. What would you say to somebody who is on the fence about whether to join uh, business school for a therapist right now? 
just go ahead and do it. Um, I think you're going to save money, time, tears, stress in the end. It's not worth it to do it on your own. Um, it's, it's allowed me to be successful in a short, very successful in a short amount of time. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So thank you all for being here. Can we get a big thank you for Lauren, for those of you who are here and thank you guys for asking questions like Chaya and Natalie and Nervita. Like I, I think it's so much fun um, to be here and be answering uh, questions live. So we're going to be doing this every day. So come back tomorrow. We'll have another success story and be answering your questions about private practice. And uh, of course, check out uh, Business School for Therapists. We got you. Uh, click on the link in the, in the stuff, in the place, you know, however that works, wherever you are at. <laughs> I hope you loved today's episode. If you're a therapist who's tired of those long hours, low pay, and constantly battling burnout, don't forget our free video training designed just for you on how to build and grow a sustainable, profitable solo or group practice. Head over to zinnime.com slash podcast to check it out today. Until next time.